See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, which leaves do no evil wide open. This is the Blackwater Eva Cost. They're more stable now, but all too often, after a few moments, the memory slips away from me, quick as a fish in the stream. And then I fall into it. The stream. It seems more stable now. Did I say that already? More stable than the moments after I gazed into that strange and luminous map. I think now I might be able to explain. Those who held me were tall, beautiful, horrifying, so very pale, not like Irish or Norwegian, but gray, almost white, like like something I should remember. The words are right there. And they wanted to change me, prevent me from changing such strange things as they applied, and they move slow, fast. Where are they? No, 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 no. But so long ago, you can't stop the past. It comes back, comes back, comes back. They held me fast, limbs too long, black hands, and red, no, this strange orange fur, weird broad tan faces. Never a word. Things sent from the fire. No, they are fire. No, it's for... The boy, the boy, is he the boy? I believe I have assembled my memories and thoughts sufficiently to relate it in some sort of sensible manner, though honestly, very little of it makes any sense. It is a very strange thing to recover en masse several days of memories. That they were somehow removed is strange enough. To have them return not as bits and pieces of a half-forgotten dream, but as a clear and coherent, if nonsensical, whole, that is entirely a different matter. And, moreover, they are as clear a recollection as if the events had occurred last month, not forty years ago. But every attempt so far to relate the memories... Well, this is the first time I haven't fallen into the stream again. Let us hope it continues in this lucid manner. There may have even been a residual amnesia on the borders of the memory, much like the warped edges of the strange map whose display somehow triggered my memories. You will remember that in my nocturnal wanderings just before my last three days, as I walked along the River Tay, I glimpsed a purple glow, apparently coming from the steep riverbank to my left. That was the last impression I had before waking in my rented room days later. Now I recall it was in fact a blue glow, a particular brilliant blue which I should tell you more about at some point, but it strikes me that to distinctly remember as purple that which was blue, even from decades ago, is an unusual lapse in my memory, and that memory has now corrected itself. Even the bizarre babblings which have been so far the result of attempted recording of the memories have been entirely accurate in their way, simply too muddled to make sense of. The blue glow in the dark night naturally drew my attention. As I looked at the near cliff of the riverbank, it resolved into a rectangle of shimmering silver, as though the back of a mirror had become a curtain. It was as tall as I, and about two-thirds as far across as it was top to bottom. A moment after, it occurred to me that it looked like some unearthly door. Someone shoved me hard from behind, and I tumbled into it and through the silver, without feeling my passage through its apparent barrier at all. I landed roughly on a flagstone floor and gasped for the breath which had been knocked out of me. As soon as I could, I rolled onto my back to see who had pushed me. But as I did so, a dark-colored cloth drifted onto my face, and I knew no more. Consciousness returned to me with an odd slowness, 
I found myself in a chair, tied to one in fact. As my awareness fought free of whatever had doused it, I collected facts in the hope that they led to some sort of clarity. I was groggy of mind, but so far as I could tell, unharmed at least in body. Bound to the chair at wrists, elbows, and ankles, I could only hope my captor's intentions allowed that unharmed state to continue. The room around me had an odd set of traits. It was somehow both brightly lit and dim. I could not see the light source from my position, but it gave a blue-gray appearance to the objects in the room, and was broad enough to prevent sharp shadows being cast. The room also seemed to be both indoors and out, walled in wood and with a roof coming to a peak somewhere behind me, but having a floor which looked exactly like a forest floor. Before me were what were clearly cabinets and trays of implements whose use I could not easily guess, but did not particularly want demonstrated. A hulking creature soon came into view, at least seven feet tall, carrying another tray which it set beside the others. Its entire body, excepting its face and hands, was covered in a thick, shaggy fur, rust-colored in the room's illumination. Generally man-shaped, its proportions were those of an ape, with long limbs and broad, coal-colored hands. It turned toward me, and the shock did more to restore my alertness than all my efforts had. The moon-shaped face, extended by side flaps, crystallized in me the resemblance it had to a huge orangutan. But it was merely a resemblance. Its tan features were less pronounced than an orangutan's, more flat, more human, and its eyes were full of malice such as I had never seen in a primate, outside our own species at least. Yet I soon perceived that its anger was directed at me only because its attention was, however briefly. It silently seethed at all it viewed, even the wooden tray of glassware it had so deftly and gently set down. A voice behind me spoke a pair of short sentences. I did not even recognize the language, but at least for me, disdainful and dismissive require no translation. The ape creature turned toward the speaker, carefully lowering its gaze to the ground before completing the turn. It acknowledged the command with a shrugging sort of bow, then turned to leave, flicking a threatening glance into my eyes before exiting through a door a few yards to my right. Moments later, a man strode into view on my left side, lifted one of the glass vials, and sniffed it, not so much as to identify it, as to pose as though he were in a play, pretending to consider its contents for the benefit of his audience. His audience, composed entirely of myself, was unimpressed, and did its best to indicate that through mere expression. If the man noticed, he did not give a sign. He was as coldly beautiful as the ape creature was hideously fiery. Most of his hair, the color of moonlight, was in a careful plait that reached his waist. His features were delicate and angular, and his skin a luminous pale gray, though at the time I assumed the color was an effect of the strange lighting. He wore what London society would have certainly thought an impeccably fashionable suit, gray and green. Over it was what looked to be formal robes of green and bronze, though I had, and have, no idea of whether they were meant to indicate profession, societal position, fashion, or comfort. He gave me a look of smug delight, and, in the manner of a self-impressed stage actor, spoke to me. It was English, though in an accent I had never heard before. You will be wondering why you are here. Ah, you have been chosen to assist with a great project, a fearful and marvelous marvel which shall be completed by your hand. Yes, you shall not only assist, but shall guide the impossible mechanical as surely as if you were escapement and mainspring combined. 
though you are not yet ready just yet, are you? Hmm? What the devil are you on about? Of course you don't know. How could you? You are only just here, and so many questions. Yes, yes, I'll answer them all, I'm sure. Though you won't know it for a while, hmm? It would be good if you began with who you are, and why I'm attached to this chair. Begin at the beginning, and when you get to the end, stop. That's logic, I am told. That's not quite what the book says. It's what I say, and I'm not tied to a chair. I know very well who you are, Magnus of Blackwater, man of clockwork and quiet pain, the Elfinstone who doesn't believe in elves. And I... He spread his arms grandly. Am Dainslaif of the Wings! You have wings? No, no, no. I certainly don't. That's just a fairy tale. <laughs> no, no. The wings is where you are. This room. This palace and its environs. It's a play on the idea of... Oh, but that's getting ahead of myself. After all, it's why you're here. Well, why you will be again. Very much ahead of myself. Gorian, Densa. A pair of other people approached Dainslave. A woman from my left and a man from my right. They were very much like Dainslave, though with very dark hair and a bit shorter than his six feet of height, and dressed similarly as he, though without the overlaying robe. With ceremonial reverence, they removed his formal robe and hung it on the wall. And now, let us begin. Just a minute now. Begin what? You have given me no explanation of anything whatever, not even a vague reason as to why I am bound and immobile. Give you? Why should I give you anything? You have given me nothing. Have you no manners? I have myself been taken, and without a proper invitation, I might add. I deserve some explanation at the very least. Presumptuous child, I can tell you all right now, at this moment, but when you have returned to your lands it would make no difference. But you will be in my debt, our debt, soon enough, and in greater measure than you can hope to discharge. Few men have ever been offered what you are about to receive, and even fewer have had the honor to return our favor in such an illustrious way as you shall. Throughout this, Dainslave's voice had been sweeping between exuberant and confidential, but his countenance had become steadily more wild and hostile, and the expressions on his assistance had also darkened. I had clearly breached some point of etiquette of this strange place, which seemed especially rich to expect of a kidnapped bound prisoner. Keeping myself in a deliberate state of calm, I asked, Ah, I see. Well, what is it you require of me? Any information I can give you will be yours immediately, in full and without dissembling. I will even tell you how to verify anything you should like to know. Come now, you need not bother to inform me of the reasons I have been brought here. Allow me to assist in any way I can. Dainslave's change in manner was so sudden and complete, I doubted my own memory of the previous moments. That you shall, that you shall, but you needn't worry yourself about any nasty interrogation. <laughs> Certainly not. The assistants joined in with his incredulous laughter as he began to arrange the items on the trays. No, no, dear Magnus, we are not here to squeeze unwilling answers from you. Although, he glanced at me with a thin curved smile and delighted eyes, this is certainly going to hurt. Now see here. Oh, but I almost forgot. You are not the only visitor we have today. Densa. 
The female assistant went through the door the rust-colored creature had used and returned a minute later with a boy, perhaps nine or ten years of age. His clothing was outdoor play clothes of a cut that marked him as a well-to-do member of the middle class. He had evidently been crying in the recent past, but wore a look of calm wonder as he looked around the room. There you are. Magnus, this is Jacob. And Jacob, this is... Perhaps it's more appropriate for you to call him Mr. Elphinstone. My clarification regarding nomenclature was cut short by a threatening glance from the male assistant, Corian. For his part, Jacob performed a neat little bow and only said, Sir? He was then ushered back out of the room by Densa. It is good to see at least that the child is unharmed and unbound. We may command monsters, but are surely none ourselves. That child is carefully looked after, fed excellent food the like of which he has never dreamt, and so far as we are concerned may remain safely here forever. His life here shall be free of pain, assuming that our work with you goes well. You, you are threatening to harm a boy I have never seen before, if I don't cooperate with you. It's cooperating with yourself that must happen, dear Magnus. In your lands you surely discovered certain effects, usually mental, which depend entirely on a person's willingness for them to work. Here, many things operate with that principle, and not merely within the mind. I can perform changes on your body, but until you believe certain things which you do not currently wish to believe, the final peace will not fall into place, and it will all be for naught. I will tell you frankly that I have grave doubts you can break your mind free in such a way, and you will have to be given to the deep fires from whence come that orange brute you saw before. Then we will try again with the boy, whose mind will certainly be more pliable, if not as ideal to our purposes. Asking what they intended would be pointless, since they were surely about to make demonstration, but I would not let these pale, cruel creatures see the dread collecting in my chest. Instead, I put on my most curious expression and asked, this is to some specific purpose, then? Oh, yes, and the benefit to you will be more than you can calculate. But the gaining of it requires a certain amount of payment beforehand. <sighs> then let's get on with it. There were no marks left to see afterward. Once the door to the memories of the wings had closed, I had no way to know what had been done to me. Even at the time, I had no real idea what was happening. My motion, especially that of my head, was further restricted. My jaw was prevented from moving. Clusters of very fine needles were inserted into my arms, stomach, and the base of my skull. Fine as an acupuncturist's, they were nevertheless tiny tubes which conveyed strange chemicals from glass spheres. Though I scarcely felt their entry, the injected substances soon began to feel warm, then hot, just beneath the skin, at their entry points. I don't know if they actually became painful in their own right, because their other effects soon absorbed my full attention. I felt as though threads of electricity and heat surged, gathered, and surged again throughout my bodily systems. One after another could be identified by what felt electrocuted at a given moment. Nerves, lymph, digestion, veins, on and on. Shortly after this began, a mask was put over the upper half of my face. Its eyes were lenses which showed me two bright projections of what seemed to be engineering drafts utilizing some farcical geometry, one after another. I felt no shame in objecting, as loud as my immobilized mouth allowed, and my agony demanded. I have no idea how long it went on. 
pain causes perceived time to expand endlessly, and knowing neither the reason nor the goal did nothing to mitigate that. However, it was certainly at least a pair of hours, and possibly rather longer, when I became aware that the needles were no longer attached to me, the shooting pains dying out. The mask was removed along with my restraints. Daneslave watched in silence as his assistants, with odd care and gentleness, helped me to my feet. I could scarcely move under my own power. I was brought to a room of minimal furnishings, clearly a holding cell, but since all I could think about was sleep, I noticed very little but the bed. During the night I woke and noticed a plate of simple but wholesome-looking food. Too exhausted to even contemplate eating, I returned to sleep. I assume it was the next day when I was awakened by Corian and a pair of guards armed with swords. Wordlessly, I followed them back to what I was beginning to mentally refer to as the examination room. Dainsleif was back in his apparently usual good humor. My dear Magnus, are you ready for your next treatment? Don't worry, this will be quite different from yesterday's. Right, up you go. Let's get those restraints attached. Don't want you hurting yourself, you know. Your cooperation is noted, though I doubt it will help. Yes, the jaw especially. Densa, you may begin. As the needle clusters were re-established at their previous locations, I said through a mobile jaw, This seems exactly like before. There is a new set of images as well. Here we go. Corian, now. The images seemed to be more of the same. Drawings made by a child who had seen mechanical diagrams but lacked any notion of spatial reference. The sensations, on the other hand, were entirely new, if no less unpleasant. Various parts of me began to light up with a burning, grating pain, as though hot files had appeared within me and begun working. The feeling grew until it took over my consciousness, as had the previous day's pain. I attempted to allow the brilliantly lit diagrams to distract me, but it worked only for moments at a time. At some point the realization swam into my mind that the areas in pain had each endured injury during my life. The worse the injury, the more hot and grinding the pain. An indeterminate amount of time later, the pain lessened and ceased as it had in the previous session. The goggles and head restraints were removed, and then my tormentors had a somewhat strained discussion in their own language. Dainslave shook a cautionary finger at Densa's face, and he and Corian left. Densa appeared downcast and annoyed. Even if I had been in a conversational mood, I would not have dared draw her attention to me at that moment. Instead, I remained as still as possible watching her from my peripheral vision. Someone opened the door and evidently summoned Densa to it. After a brief exchange, she went through the door on some errand. Another pale man entered, as tall as Dainslave, but with black hair and fully black clothing unlike any I had seen before. He peered curiously and closely at my face. He squinted and said a couple of words, then stood upright. You are not needed here. You are not wanted here, and soon you shall be released. I would be rather grateful if you'd do so without waiting. It is not possible at this time. Ah, you have some disagreement with Dainsleif and his team. I'll willingly go along with whatever plan you have to get me out of here and safe from the fires he so cheerfully threatened me with if I wouldn't believe some things he hasn't even told me yet. He lifted the goggles from their tray. Couldn't believe. He has been showing you images to prepare you for it. 
he does not truly think you will be able to accept all of it yet. This is only the beginning, and in truth only a few things need be believed now. The rest will come when you are ready for it. To break a mind in such an exact way requires time and precision, and precision over time, or would. You will have the time, the procedures so far have made it so, but the role they have planned for you is pointless. Others here can do it, and rightfully should. It is our problem, after all, our glory to restore. Will you release Jacob as well? The idea of a child enduring what I have these past days is horrifying. A child? Aren't you the hero after all? Or is it only this one weakness? They chose well, I'll give them that. But he's only a goad. Don't you see? You're far too rare for them to risk killing. It's been so long already. When will another come along? Even so, you would have to leave here for a time and develop like the perfectly damaged man-creature you are. But you're mortal. You need motivation, as if limited time wasn't enough. So, Jacob. Jacob, is he? What makes you think he could take your place if you failed? What makes you think he's a child? He went to the door. You will be released this evening. Tell no one. Eat nothing. And he left. Though I had more questions than before his appearance, as the other trio returned a couple of minutes later, there was no way I could ask them without risking my possible escape route. Dainslave looked irritated. It seems that we are done for the day. When everything is functional again tomorrow, we will conclude your adjustments. Then we'll see what happens. At the end of it all, remember, nothing changes unless you believe. Corian, bring him to his room. What? Oh, he has. Well, well. Progress. My dear colleagues, I must leave the rest of the story for now. I need to speak with a guest who is now interested in conveying some information. I'll return as soon as I may. As usual, there are plots and events afoot which I haven't told you about, but which should prove entertaining to you all. I'll let you know when I return. Shouldn't be long. Blackwater Aethercast is written, produced, and performed by Nicholas Jovian. Additional voices by Kayla Thomas. Beginning and ending music is by Derek and Brandon Fichter. They can be found at dbfichter.bandcamp.com. Today's entertainment was skipped because the Baron got interrupted. Follow the Baron on Instagram at Baron Blackwater. Also, visit lordblackwater.com to be the featured entertainment. And thanks for listening. You know, I knew a group of kids who wandered into an old forest. I wonder whatever happened to them.